to meet with you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have to give a shout out. Back in the shadows, in the recesses, in the back of the room, Jonathan Walker is here this morning. Hi, Jonathan. I think that's you. There you Yeah, that's him. It's definitely him. Uh, Jonathan Walker, for some of you who don't know, uh, currently is the pastor of Church in the Rock up in the valley, and uh, Jonathan Walker and I work together uh, 14 years ago, believe it or not, planning Church in the Rock here in Homer. So value that friendship over the years. Uh, we're going to jump into 1 Samuel. I'm going to tell you a very short sort of um, uh, forgettable story with an unnamed character in 1 Samuel, uh, uh, which honestly in the biblical narrative are some of my favorite stories, the little brief snippets where a character appears and then vanishes for eternity without a name, and yet this uh, character uh, plays a very important role and provides a very important commentary. Uh, but before we, uh, before we do that, I have to address something. I have to own a mistake that I made a few weeks ago. Um, I showed you a picture a few weeks ago of my pickup. And um, do you have, there it is. And I spoke negatively of my truck. And um, I had a few people afterwards tell me that they actually like my truck, which uh, convicted me of speaking about my truck without my truck present to defend itself. And so um, I usually would check in with someone before I would talk about them publicly. I did not do that, and so my apologies to my pickup. <laughs> I have a different vehicle as well. I have a blue Suburban um, that's not totaled. It's the one vehicle that I own that's mostly functional. Do you have that picture, Scott? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> real-time accountability. <laughs> Do you own the copyright? Uh, that's my Suburban. When we bought it uh, a handful of years ago, uh, we have put 100,000 miles on that Suburban since that picture was taken. Uh, the world, the world is 25,000 miles around. So uh, my wife and I and our children have driven four times around the planet in that Suburban. Uh, when I bought it, that's the LTZ model, which has all of the extra stuff on it, which I wasn't looking for, but it was the, it was the deal that I found. It was the Suburban that I found. I bought it over on the East Coast a number of years ago. But if, um, if, you, if you have have or have had children and you've owned uh, a car with extra bells and whistles, you know that the two don't go well together, right? Um, uh, extra bells and whistles, where did that come from? I don't know, but uh, are, are very quickly broken bells and whistles, right? So this once glorious vehicle is uh, pretty pathetic right now, uh, if you were to climb into it. There's a lot of things that used to be power this and power that, and they're no longer power anything, right? Um, which is unfortunate because they're not actually designed to be manual, but uh, you find a way to like, so like the seat, you know, has like a power fold up thing. You push a button and it folds up. 
used to fold up, right? And so now it takes like three of my children to get that seat uh, out of its uh, bracket. But um, you guys know that experience. Uh, this used to be wonderful. Now it's sort of, uh, I mean, it gets the job done. I'm not complaining. But it is, it has taken a bruising. In fact, I think several pieces of molding, exterior molding that are in that photo are no longer attached to my vehicle. <laughs> the paint job is not nearly as shiny. So that's a, that, that in a microcosm is our story today. Something that once was great is not so great anymore. You track with that? So here's the story. First Samuel chapter four, I told you it's four verses. Um, wait, let me give you a quick background real quick. So last week we talked about uh, Eli and Samuel, and Samuel heard from the Lord what God had already told Eli, and that is, it's not gonna go well for you. Uh, you've corrupted spiritual leadership through your uh, apathy. You've allowed your sons to continue to function in leadership, uh, in, in a position of religious authority, and yet they, are, they have participated in like widely known sexual immorality and also selfish ambition, self-serving ambition, and you have let that continue. And so it's going to end very poorly. And then sure enough, and we heard this last week, the Philistines attack, uh, Eli uh, is at home, his sons are out. Not only are his sons killed, but they brought the Ark of uh, the Covenant, the box, along with them in hopes that that would be sort of the secret sauce to victory, that they could use God in that way to accomplish their own purposes without having to walk in obedience to God. Sound familiar? Should. Uh, <clears throat> and it didn't go well, and the Ark was stolen. And Eli hears the news that his sons are killed, that the Ark has been taken, and he falls over in his chair and he breaks his neck and... That's the end of the story of Eli. And then we have this little snippet of a story. This is a story about Eli's daughter-in-law. Again, we don't know her name, but she's married to Phineas, uh, Eli's son. And this is the story. Now his daughter-in-law, Eli's daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, that's, that's the only way we know her, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the Ark of God had been taken and that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she kneeled down and gave birth because her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who were standing by her said to her, do not be afraid, for you have given birth to a son. But she did not answer or pay attention and she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Because the ark of God had been taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And so she said, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been taken. That's the whole story. She's in she's late-term pregnancy. She hears the news of her husband's death, her father-in-law's death, the Ark of the Covenant being taken. And uh, in her reaction to that news, she, she goes into labor. Um, there's a few women, apparently, that tended to her while she was delivering her son. 
And it seems that the women who were caring for her were aware that she was not going to survive labor. Um, we, we pick that up through the reassurance that they offer her that uh, it seems that they knew that she was, she was dying. Um, and, uh, and so they offer her the reassurance that even in death, you've given birth to a son and, uh, and she, she, she names him Ichabod um, to memorialize the moment. And the memorial, the commentary is this, uh, the glory of the Lord has departed. The glory is gone. It's an interesting statement. I want to unpack that statement a little bit. I want to uh, sort of expand our understanding of this short little narrative. And then I want to make a couple of observations uh, for those of you here this morning who have had moments in your life and maybe are currently living in a moment where it just feels like the glory is gone. And we're going to dig into what that means a little bit. I want to just expand the story a little bit here and, and, and fully appreciate uh, this character, this woman, the daughter-in-law of Eli, the wife of Phineas. First of all, she's dealing with a medical crisis. Fair? She's on her deathbed. And apparently everyone knows it, or the, the, the people around her know that she's not going to survive. So in this moment, in these four uh, very brief verses, uh, we have a woman who is dealing with a medical crisis. The second thing that I want to note, and if you were here last week, you'll, you'll be able to tie this in a little bit better. If not, again, I want to encourage you, you should be reading uh, the narrative uh, as we go along. Uh, on your own, on your own time, meeting with the Lord through the word. The second thing is she's dealing with a relational crisis. Do you remember last week when I explained what her husband was accused of? It was not something that was sort of a, um, you know, a backroom rumor. It says it was publicly known that her husband was involved immorally, I'm selecting my language because of our younger audience this morning, uh, was involved immorally with the women who worked at the tabernacle. That was, that was public information. This is her husband, and she's giving birth to his son. She's dealing with a medical crisis, she has been dealing with a relational family crisis. She is also now confronting a financial crisis. That's what she has to look forward to. Her husband has died. Next in line to assume responsibility would be her husband's brother, who has died. The only brother. Next in line would be her father-in-law, who has died. This, of course, is uh, before the time of government assistance, of life insurance policies. And so here is a woman who is looking at a very bleak financial future for her and her kids. She's dealing with a financial crisis. She's also dealing with a political crisis. 
Can you imagine the scenario where as you're giving birth to a child, you become aware that you're not going to survive the birth and you hear the news that our country is now under the ownership of a foreign entity. That's what just happened. The Philistines just obliterated the Israelite army. They're now in political control, which means at that time that the, the future for Israel is one of service. They're owned by the Philistines. That's the future. That's the political future for this child. Finally, she is also dealing with a religious crisis. This woman has two examples of spiritual leadership. Her husband, who's the worst, and her father-in-law. Her husband is a man who aggressively pursues uh, immorality and, and selfish gain, unapologetically, publicly. Remember it said that if, if people wouldn't give him and his brother the best cuts of the sacrifices, they would take it by force uh, in chapter 2. That's her husband. He's a priest. Her father-in-law is uh, apathetic indifference. He's the one who's passively allowing all of this terrible behavior to continue. Those are not only her family, those are her religious authorities. That's the sum total of what she's known. And in the context of her personal medical crisis, her, her relational family crisis, a pending financial crisis for her and her offspring, a national political crisis, and then an ongoing and developing religious crisis, a crisis of religious leadership, she makes this assessment. This isn't good. This does not, this does not seem, this entire situation does not seem to bear resemblance to what I think the God that I know intends. There's a mismatch between my experience and what I've, what I've come to understand about who God is and the way that he deals with his people. The glory has departed. Her assessment is not one that would be difficult to arrive at. It's not particularly debatable. It's not profound or astute. She is simply acknowledging that there is a particular quality of the blessing of God, the activity of God, the ways of God. There's a certain kind of, of awesomeness, of goodness, of wholeness that characterizes the ways of God. 
Where he is, there is an experience of this incredible life-giving goodness, this intangible sense of things being right, of, of there being hope and promise and expectation. And she's trying to find the words to say, all of that is missing. The glory is gone. Any experience of the spectacular power and kindness of God is gone. She's trying to, to describe in her own words what's missing. What's the French phrase? Je ne sais quoi. There, I spoke French once. You know, you know that phrase? It's a, it's a certain kind of something, right? It's gone. How do I define it? It's the glory. It's, it's, the, it's the grandeur. It's this is not it. Look around. Does this remind you of any of God's grand promises that he made to this people, his, his great assurances? Where is the God who parted the Red Sea and knocked down the city of Jericho? Where is the God who leads his people, the pillar of fire? Where is the God who, who puts his dwelling in the midst of his people his tent, his tabernacle in the middle of the camp. I'm not saying that God is gone. I'm saying that the glory of what it's like to have him with us, whatever that is, it's gone. Now, I want to point out something, because what I want to actually do is, in just a, in a short amount of time, I want, to, I want to offer something for those who have been in that place or are in that place, right? You've been in that place or you're in that place where you, you, you look at your life or you look at the world and you say, man, there is a, there is a certain quality of, of life and relationship and the blessing of God that just seems to be gone. I mean, I... I hear the stories about what he's capable of, but that's not my experience. It just seems like it's gone. In this particular portion of the narrative, in these four verses, we have no indication that this woman, the wife of Phineas, is at fault in any way. She's not responsible for her situation. And there's plenty of, of, of the need for discussion in the course of this narrative. In fact, this is what comes in the next couple of chapters for corporate repentance, right? Which is the way that you move forward when you realize I have chosen something that I don't like anymore and I want to choose God. That's repentance. I'm turning from this and I'm turning to him. And, and there's a need for that then and now. But she doesn't own all of that. 
In fact, I would say, and I don't mean this as a slight, she's not particularly relevant to the overall story that is being told in 1 Samuel. But why is she there? Because God says, now there is a commentary that really gets to the heart of what's happening here. The glory is gone. However you want to describe that, that is gone from our experience. I'm going to give you three reminders for those moments when you look at your world, you look at your life, and you sense that the glory has departed. But first, a warning. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, Why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. There can be a tendency, especially for those who I would say are at my stage of life or later, to notice that in some way, shape, or form, they look at the world around and they say, the glory is gone, and the solution would be that let's go back to the good old days. And Solomon, in his wisdom, says, careful, it's not a productive pursuit. It actually doesn't help the situation to long for different days. We must be fully present in the situation that we're in, but with some understanding, with truth. So three critical reminders for those moments when you look at your world and you sense the glory has departed. And to give some contemporary context, of course, we have to think from a new covenant perspective. So here's the first one. The here and now glory of God is Christ in you. Today, May 29th, in the year 2022, in the great city of Homer, Alaska, the here and now glory of God is Christ in you. The way that God has chosen now to display his grandeur, his spectacularness, his awesomeness, his power, his character, his goodness, is Christ formed in you, displayed to the world. His plan, not mine. I could think of several other more expedient ways that he could show his glory, which would be kind of fun. You ever wake up on a morning and just wish that he would pull the sky back and say, hello? That would be kind of cool to witness. God in his eternal wisdom has, has, has decided to display his glory through those who possess the spirit of Christ and are being shaped uh, and controlled by the spirit of Christ. If the glory of God is going to be witnessed by our broken world, his power and his goodness experienced in tangible ways 
it will be through those who carry the glory of God within them. Nikki, I'm going to mention you again. Nikki, I told that story last week about Nikki Sosha. Just, man, I've just enjoyed that little snippet for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but she was describing it to me later, and she said, you know, as I walked up to deliver that gift, there was just such a peace about that, such a peace. Of course, that's Christ in me, right? That's God in me accomplishing his purposes. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Now that we have Christ in us, we are being, we are being transformed from uh, a certain quality of his personhood and his purposes to an even greater quality of his personhood and purposes, right? From glory to glory, meaning that as time goes on and as we move towards eternity, we are becoming more and more like Jesus, which he calls glory. The bright, visible declaration of the who God is. In fact, Paul says, Look at a mirror. Do you see it? You see the glory of God? Matthew 6, you are light of the world, a city on a hill. And as you become more like Jesus, as your heart and your mind and your actions are shaped more in line with his character, the world gets a greater glimpse of the glory of God from glory to glory. In fact, uh, in 1 Samuel 15, 29, there's this little statement that Samuel uses. He says, he actually gives God a name, and the name that he gives God is the glory of Israel. He actually uses that as a pronoun to, to describe God, the glory of Israel. In other words, God all along was always what made Israel look great. He is the glory of Israel. Jesus has been all along what makes you great, Christ in you. The here and now glory of God is Christ in you, regardless of your situation or the world that you're in. We are not those who despair. Number two, we are going from glory to glory. This life, this life, only offers uh, an appetizer, uh, a brief, uh, a brief whiff of the glory that's in store in eternity. And you guys know what it's like if you've walked with Jesus, you know what it's like to find those moments where you, 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 get, you get a glimpse, uh, a real tangible sense, and you go, oh, there, I, I, there it is. It's a peek into the glory of heaven. 
Paul in Romans 8.18, he says, I consider, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a future glory that our hearts were made for, that our hearts long for, that we actually pursue in a lot of broken ways here in this life. And yet, we can experience, again, Christ formed in me, and it's Christ in me that begins to shape my life according to eternity. And Paul says, even if you are to suffer now, even if you are to find yourself in crisis, Paul says, that is no price to pay for the glory that is ahead. 1 Corinthians 15, it is also this way with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. Sorry, It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Raised in glory. Again, if you've been walking with Christ, you know that longing for the experience of the glory of God. I want that sense of his grandeur and greatness his goodness in my life and in my experience. There's an interesting detail that I hadn't noticed before that I picked up as I was going through the story this time, and that is that if you look at, actually, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1, and then chapter 5, verse 1, it, it tells you where the Philistines attacked Israel, where this all went down, where they were killed, slaughtered. It says that it happened in Ebenezer, a place called Ebenezer. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says that the place where the ark was taken by the Philistines was in Ebenezer. As I was reading this time, I thought, wait a second, isn't Ebenezer used somewhere else? So I did a little quick search, as is my habit, and was reminded that Ebenezer is the name that Samuel gave to that place a couple decades later. And he gave the name Ebenezer because that's where God had given them victory, post-repentance. So the story goes forward, everything's terrible, and then Samuel grows up, invites the people to repentance, they all respond, and then it says in, in chapter 5, it says, or 5 and 6, it says that the thunder of God confused the enemy, and Israel was victorious over their enemies. And then Samuel named the place Ebenezer. So now back up. This current story of the departure of the glory of God is actually told in light of that future victory. And there's little dropped hints in the story. Hey, just so you don't get too discouraged and you, you, you fall off the wagon and you don't read to the next chapter, just a reminder, this place where this defeat happened is actually called Ebenezer, which is what Samuel gave, uh, the name that Samuel gave to declare God's victory, that God met us here, that God saved us, he rescued us. It's no different for us today in the middle of what looks to be some great defeat the departure of the glory of God from our experience is that reminder that the end of the story is already guaranteed. Glory is in store. He has assured it. So what happens when you have the world completely stacked against you by no fault of your own? 
whether it be a medical crisis, a relational crisis, a financial crisis, political, religious leadership crisis. We look to Jesus as the example of what it means to be human in a fallen world. You may remember that Jesus once also saw the lamp of God's glory go dim to his eyes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This, this, this surely means that you, you are gone. The glory has departed. An inexplicable longing that we find in our hearts is a longing for the rule of Jesus. That passage I read earlier from Ecclesiastes 7, do not long for the former days. It continues in verse 14. On the day of prosperity be happy, but on the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other. This is, this is the assurance that I want to provide you that seems to be laid out in this story and then uh, represented again and again. You understand that from the perspective of Phineas's wife in a very desperate and dire situation, she makes this simple observation. This doesn't, none of this reminds me of the God that I believe is there. The glory is gone, right? And yet we know from the story that the plan and purposes of God continue forward. The invitation to return to God is ever renewed, right? And so today, in our time and place, when, when, I, when I hear those kinds of assessments, you look out at either the circumstances of your own life and situation within your own community or the world at large, and you say, I don't know how to describe it, but I can tell you, the glory is gone. You are the glory of God on the earth in whatever desperate situation you find yourself in. And not fully, we'll concede that, right? We're moving from glory to glory, and so my... Aaron Weiser's glory now because of Christ in me, uh, you know, depending on the day, it's so-so. But again, I'll remind you, this wasn't my plan, it was God's. We are, we collectively, we individually are the power and presence of God, the glory of God on the earth, in our relationships, in our workplace, in our community, in our world. Because of Christ in me, and what happens is, is that every time that I say yes to Christ, my eyes are actually opened a little bit more to fully understand what he's up to, what he's doing in my world. And I, and I move from this sort of uh, despairing hopelessness to this triumphant hopefulness. Because guys, Christ in me, the hope of glory.
Colossians 1.18, by the way. Christ, 1.18, Christ in me, the hope of glory, from glory to glory. And then finally, today is your opportunity for glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. The Lord has actually been taking me on, a, on a, my own personal journey in the last couple of months, exactly along these lines. Whatever you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. My, my personal journey is actually learning to meet with God through eating and drinking. It's so tangible, right? It's so practical. I do it all the time, at least a few times a day. And the Lord has been helping me to actually to, to make that something that I participate in with him, that I'm experiencing God even as I sit down to a meal, that he's present, that I'm aware of his intentions, that I'm even thinking about what food is for and how it helps me become like him. It's kind of a strange exercise, honestly, but God has been meeting me in some cool ways as I'm learning. In everything you do, what are you doing this afternoon? Consider doing it for the glory of God. How? By allowing Christ to reign in your heart and in your life. We can choose now to honor each moment by doing everything that we do in a way that makes God glorious. By doing everything we do consistent with the purpose and the person of Christ. So today, in many visible and invisible ways, behave as if your words, your actions, your decisions are a final testament to the world about the God that you serve. Commit everything to Jesus. Today is your opportunity for glory. I'm going to invite the small worship team uh, forward. Uh, we're going to take communion together, and so I'm going to ask uh, any of my leaders who are present and available in the room. Um, there's, I think there's like five stations around. The rest of you can stay seated. If a few of you wouldn't mind jumping up and just helping uh, pass the, the trays around, um, we'll get those uh, spread out, and then we're going to do communion together. Thank you, Drew, Olivia. Thank you, Aaron. You guys pray with me real quick. Father, we are so glad that your spirit is offered to us through your son on the cross. God, I ask that if there's anyone in here who's struggling to know your spirit, God, that you would make yourself available and they would, they would come to you in repentance with dependence upon you. And I pray that uh, that invitation would not be missed today. In Jesus' name. I'm so glad, personally so glad, that I am able to know him, to be filled with his spirit that he's made every chance possible for you to experience that too, no matter where you are. Don't miss the opportunity to respond to him. We don't officially close till 1230, so please hang out and help us tear down. Um, we're so thankful for you being here with us this morning. If you actually um, are in need of food assistance, we would actually um, love to hear from you. So if you want to meet with one of our pastors or come to the info table, kids, don't forget that you have a chance to grab candy right after the service. So uh, God be with you as you part from here. Thank you. Have a great